0: Alright, last week we we looked at the first eight verses of Acts chapter 8, and what we saw was how the, the gospel survives, right? And we uh, left off in Acts chapter 7 a, a couple months ago now, or a month or so ago, and what we saw right there was Stephen being stoned. He became the first martyr of the church. Um, he, he laid down his life for the gospel, Um he, he was stoned, um, and, and in his last breath, he's, he's praying for forgiveness on those who are stoning him, and we saw that Saul, who would later be converted and his name would be changed to Paul, who's written most of the, the New Testament, we see he is there, and, and in Acts chapter 8, it says that Saul approved of this execution. Um, it, it shows us that he continued to drag off men and women out of their homes, and he took them to, to be uh, put on trial where they were eventually going to be killed themselves. And we saw the church was scattered. But we saw that the scattering of the church was a fulfillment of God's command to take the gospel to all the nations. So it was good. It was, God took what the enemy meant for evil and he used it for good and to display his glory and to get the gospel message out there. Now we pick up here in verse 9, and we see this this effect of the church and the gospel going out. We see the effects continuing on in verse 9 where it says, But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of our Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit." But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you, because you thought that you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of your wickedness, the wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord, if possible, that the intent of your heart may be forgiven. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. That's God's word for us this morning, church. Let's be in an attitude of prayer. Father God, we, we come to you this morning together, gathered to worship and exalt your name. Lord, I pray as, as Pastor Mark has has drawn us in and focused us in on the law and, and how we've been commanded. And, and there's this command, but because of Jesus, we've been set free. God, I pray that as we uh, think about that, as we uh, meditate on that truth, and we approach this word and this passage this morning, God, that you would show us that, that though we've been set free, we are called to an a obedient faith. God, I pray that we would check our hearts this morning as we approach the Lord's table. I pray that we would check our heart as we leave here. Not not simply following religious activities, but God, following You, our Lord. God, I pray that You would show us the encouragement You've given us by our brothers and sisters who were seated with us this morning. Lord, I pray that we would make diligent efforts to to seek out community with one another. And that in that community and in that discipleship, God, that that we would be um, encouraged, God, that we would be sanctified as we gather not just together to talk, but to to exalt Your name, even in our day-to-day life. Lord, show us areas where we need to grow, and and I pray particularly this morning that that You would be exalted, and God, that, that we believers, those who You have saved before this moment, God, that we would have a heart check and we would go and proclaim this truth that that you need, that people need to have faith, they need to repent and believe in this good news and surrender their life to you. Lead us in this time, it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we look at this text and we get to, to Simon the magician and we see um, this, this story unfold of, of this man and there's so much to, to talk about and to break down with him and uh, we open up with this, this, this part where it seems like Simon believes, and then we go and we get this, this stern rebuke of this man who had supposedly believed. And what we see as we progress through these uh, few verses is that the gospel confronts our idols, hearts, and perspectives. That's our main point for this morning. The gospel confronts our idols, hearts, and perspectives. Now this isn't the, the Saul to Paul moment, right? But this is a very encouraging, convicting, um, even eye-opening for the church that, that as we gather, um, as, as we do religious things, as we pray, as we read our Bibles, as we go out and we serve the communities, as we serve in our church, that we need to check our hearts because just because we're saying that Jesus is Lord does not mean that we are professing faith in Jesus, that He is our Lord. Now there's a difference in saying that Jesus is God and saying, and saying, Jesus is my God. Right? Amen, church? And that's something we should begin to, to speak, is that Jesus isn't simply God, but Jesus is my God. Jesus is my Lord. And that's what we see here, is that the Gospel is confronting three big things, and that's idols, hearts, and perspectives. First off, idols. We see that idols are confronted here. It says, but there was a man named Simon, in verse 9, who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. Now, magic is, is really interesting to me, uh, watching people do these tricks, and um, I oftentimes uh, tell you guys, or maybe I've told you in, in one-on-one, I think maybe I've mentioned it up here once, but there was this uh, segment where uh, it was NFL football, and I don't know if it was Pre game, post game, but the clip has gone around the internet. And Randy Moss was sitting there. I don't know if you all know him, but he's a West Virginia guy, Hall of Famer, great, right? And this magician's like, yeah, okay, so here's like this card, pick a card, any card. He gives it to him and he takes it and he's like, all right, now put it back in the deck. And he like puts the deck down. He's like, all right, here, use this knife to cut that football open that's been sitting in front of you the whole time. He's like, what do you mean? So he cuts it open. And Randy Moss, just good old West Virginian reaction, just, Woo! Like, we love it down there, right? Like, with anything that can get us going, like magic and stuff, it's, just, it's awesome. Wondering how these things can happen. And this is Simon the magician. He has had this, these acts of, of man, this, this, this um, almost deception, right? Like, we are deceived. There's, we know that with magic, and I'm sorry if any of you are magicians, I'm not going to ask you for your tricks this morning and how you do those things. I'll let that be between you and, 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 and your uh, gig. But there's something that intrigues us about that, even though we know that man's magic is but deception. And Simon, the magician, not only is performing these tricks, but it says that he himself was saying that he was somebody great. So he is making himself an idol for himself and for others. Now there's a huge problem with this because we know that as Christians, we can't go about saying, look at me, I'm something great. Did you hear that, that message from last Sunday? It was great. I'm sure you guys wanted a fourth point, right? We could have left three and you all could have, could have chanted on for another point and we would have had it, right? It was like it was that great. That's how great we are around here. We know that there's no room for that kind of talk amongst Christians. We know that, that as, as Pastor Mark, Mark mentioned earlier, is that we see when we look at the law that we aren't worthy. And then we look at the Gospel and we see that Christ has made us worthy by His atonement on the cross. By His doing. By His grace. By His bestowing of faith. So it shows us here exactly who Simon is. And it says, "...they all paid attention to Him for, uh, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is great." This man Simon actually is is believed to be the one that the Gnostics wrote about. The the very famous Simon the Magician. Though we can't 100% confirm, we are very, very, very sure, but not 100% sure that this is the same guy. And you can go back and you can read into the Gnostics' writings that Simon was one of the leaders of this this heresy. He had a great following that people looked to him, so it makes this passage that much more... um, paulish right where it's like this transformation what is about to happen here not just simon believing later but the the crowd turning away from him and not making him an idol and turning to god is is that more powerful not by his magic but by god's power that can save so you can actually read about simon the magician in secular history and again we're rather positive this is the exact same guy for the same writing in the scriptures is one that you can find that was talked about among this man, that it says, This man is the power of God that is great. Now we can look to, to our idols in our life, we can look to our culture's idols, but there's this idolatry is giving him, attributing the power of God to this inerrant man, to this fallen, not inerrant man. Simon is simply a man with some magic. And they are attributing the power of God to him. Church, if we understand the power of God, we should understand how serious this idling is. That that they are idolizing this man and attributing the, the same God who spoke everything into existence By His power, the power of Jesus that sustains the universe by the Word of His power, they're giving that power, attributing it to Simon. This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time, he had amazed them with his magic. He had this following. There was was nothing else to to believe in. They, They had fallen into all these heresies and they looked at the card trick and they're like wow look at this this guy's amazing look at his look at his power look at look at what he can do there's nothing wrong with enjoying a little bit of magic seeing some magic shows right but they took it and they idolized him and he made for himself he made himself an idol for these people he was making himself to be a god when indeed he was a deceiver Look at what the gospel does when it confronts our idols. It says, but when they believed Philip as he preached, what church? Good news. When he preached the gospel to him, uh, to these people, when Philip came and was preaching the gospel, their eyes were no longer set on Simon and his, his false power, but turned and was saved by the saving power of the almighty God. So the power they were once attributing to a fallen man, they now understand in Jesus Christ that it is to Him be the glory alone. Philip preaches the Gospel to them about the Kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And what happens? They follow in obedience. They were baptized, both men and women. They were saved. Because church, when the Gospel comes into our life, It removes idols. It changes our perspective. Our repenting is turning away from. So Simon is no longer their God. He's no longer their idol. If indeed they've been saved because Jesus is the only God. Our triune God deserves all the glory. Not man. Now you would think, ah, Simon's got to be upset about this. It says even Simon himself believed And after being baptized, he continued with Philip, seeing signs and miracles and great miracles performed. He was amazed. This man who once used to amaze people has now turned and and he himself is being amazed at the transformative power of the gospel. Isn't it an amazing church to see how God saves his people? How he turns them from their wickedness and draws them to himself so that they would follow Him and glorify Him as we were created to do. To get back to the the original part of our creation that we we were created to glorify the Almighty Triune God. And because of sin, because we're born into sin, we're totally depraved, we don't seek this out, we don't want this. And then God comes into our life and saves us, He wrecks us, and He changes us. He confronts every idol, and as Christians, when we put other idols before God, we are greatly convicted. Now, you may suppress that conviction, you may try and hide it, but you know that it's there. And this morning, church, we need to let the gospel do what it does and confront our idols, because God is the only one that deserves the glory in our life. There should be no other God, no other images, nothing before Him. Not our spouse, not our family, not our friends, not our jobs, nothing. And we see the transformative power. And it not, only, it not only confronts our idols, but it confronts our hearts also. Point number two, it's not just our idols. It's not just removing the idols out of our life, but it's confronting our heart. Because if our heart is not changed, then church, we are not changed. Everything else about us can change, but if our heart has not changed, then nothing has changed. We're doing it in vain. Our, our acts of obedience are done in vain. I love, anytime I, I get an opportunity to share this story as a child, I, I love to, to get to do it. Um, but I remember uh, when I was a, a child, uh, this new WWE wrestling game uh, came out. And I like really, really wanted it. Right, And I found out that it was... Um, coming out, and we didn't have it like we, I didn't get everything I wanted as a kid. Uh, one, my parents uh, didn't have the means to give me everything I wanted, I was uh, spoiled in my head. Um, and then um, also, my parents just didn't want to give me everything, they wanted me to work a little bit for it, right? So, I'd, I'd cut grass and whatnot. But I remember specifically this game came out, I didn't have any money, but I found out and I called my mom at work, she owned a little consignment shop. I'm like, Hey, mom. Um, on your way home, I know you got to get groceries. So while you're getting groceries, while you're already there at Walmart, get me this new wrestling game. She's like, okay, maybe. And I remember my mom uh, getting home. She's like, I-, I couldn't find it. I didn't get you the game. Um, I need you to go unload groceries. And I'm like, no, like I don't want to unload groceries. So I like go down to unload the groceries because I never actually told my mom no, but I was like mad about it, right? My mom thinks she can come home and not get me this game and expect me to get the groceries is ridiculous, right? My mom's crazy. Can't believe she thinks she works 50 hours a week and not going to get me this video game. And I remember finally getting to like the last bag in the back and seeing like the game. And my mom comes out, she's like, I got you the game, by the way. Nice attitude. The conviction that like set in right there, like, I should be helping my mom because she's my mom and she's, other than Jesus, has given me every other thing. And Jesus has used my mom to to serve me and to love me and to raise me. And here I am with the wrong intent. How many things do we do, like we do it, but we do it with a bad attitude? Like, hey honey, I'll take you on a date night with a bad attitude. Because this is supposed to be guys' night. Now i got to take you on a date. Oh, you want flowers? Okay, I'll get you flowers just because you want them, right? And it's not from the right heart and we know that it doesn't go well. If I bring Aubrey flowers with a bad heart and like, there you go, it doesn't matter that I bought a $100 bouquet of flowers. My intent, my heart wasn't changed. Now look at what happens here because this is very important with the Gospel and we see it play out in our life with other people, but how much more with God who is seeking His people's heart. Seeking to be the, the, the apple of their affection, right? We, God is meant to be glorified in everything that we have because our hearts have been changed. Now it says this, now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word, remember the apostles weren't there, what they do, they hear about this, they send Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit for He had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Let me stop here for a second. We see in uh, the early parts of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit not coming upon His people until later as the apostles laid hands on. Now at the moment of your salvation, you received the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about this in Romans, that if you do not have the Spirit, you you do not have Jesus, right? But we see here particularly that there seems to be this Uh, Interesting moment, as R.C. Sproul notes, that, that God was waiting and using His apostles to affirm the faith and to show the Spirit and to send them and commission them and acknowledge what has happened as true and fruitful. Okay, So they now receive the Holy Spirit in verse 17. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. His magic stunt is not over. Now, church, when the gospel gets a hold of you, there's no room for this kind of foolishness. He still wants to play God, God had chosen the apostles for a purpose. And they are doing what God has told them to do. And he wants to buy this power so that he can continue gaining his following. He can continue building his platform. And church, we see it today with televangelists all the time that they are using God and his gifts and his church to further gain a following, to build a platform not for the gospel, but for themselves. And Simon, the magician, wants to do this. This is the gospel is just Simon's next act. He sees that the people love it. He's like, Yes. Oh, you got a you got a new trick. All right, teach me that one. I'm gonna give you some money, and you're gonna give me whatever power that is. Peter does what Peter does best,
1: and he rebukes him. It says, but
0: Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Peter and John and the other apostles are are being used by God with great power, but it wasn't their power. It was God's through them. And they know that because their heart has been changed. Their heart has been confronted. And now Simon's heart is being confronted. They could have taken this opportunity to become other Simons, right? Simon 2.0, Simon 3.0. And they could have been like, yeah, it is our power and you can't have it, buddy. But what he tells them, he says, may you perish with your silver because you thought you could attain this with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before
1: God. Church,
0: the gospel is changing our heart because we know that everything that we do, every desire that we fulfill and everything that we seek after is because our heart wanted it. Deuteronomy 29, 18, this is is an Old Testament concept That, that God is seeking after our heart and it says here in Deuteronomy, beware lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose Heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware lest uh, there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter
1: fruit. Church, it's our hearts that when we're saved are changed.
0: That when when Paul says you were dead in your trespasses and God gave you life, it means that this heart wasn't even beating. Physically, sure. Spiritually, dead.
1: So when we are given life in Christ,
0: we are a new creation. That means our desires and our affections are changing. Yes, there's a waging war. There's this process of sanctification and it hurts. It feels like when I was uh, 15 and I, I, I broke my ankle and I remember going in after the, the surgery and they're like, all right, now we got to start getting it back in place. And my foot, right, this would be my leg and my foot would just kind of hang it and they, we got to stretch it. And I remember feeling that stretch. And I think about it when the process of sanctification gets hard in my life is that it is tender. It is it is not going where it needs to go, but it's getting there. That through the process of sanctification, we're slowly working it where it's supposed to be and we are aligning not with the world, but with God who has saved us. Because our heart has been changed. Our heart has been given life. We are being transformed. Psalm 51.10 says this, Create in me a clean what, church? Clean heart. So so what the, the psalmist is saying is that that created me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. So in, in Christ Jesus, we receive this clean heart. But it's this process, because as we go out into the world, and we're not living the way that we're supposed to live, then we need, this needs to be our prayer. God, search my heart, know me, know my sin, confront it. Create in me a clean heart. Church, we are being transformed. We are being sanctified into the likeness of Christ. It's an ongoing process. But if our heart isn't right, then maybe we need to get right with God. Because what this is showing, look look at what it said earlier. It said that, that this man Simon also believed. We would attribute him to be saved, right? In today's day and age, he believed he was saved. What Peter is saying here, you aren't saved. You need to repent and believe in the gospel. Because the one thing that is surely changing when we come to know Christ is our heart. And look at what he says. He doesn't just say, your heart's not right before God. A lot of us, that's our evangelism, right? Your heart's not right. He says, repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord if possible. That if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. The Gospel confronts our hearts. It confronts our idols. It removes them. It confronts our hearts. As as Christians, our heart is constantly being challenged. Because what happens here, not just here, right? We got head, heart, but then it changes our hands. It changes our actions. And if that ever comes out of our mouth, like Simon the magician, that we could use the gospel to, to further our kingdom, let us fall on our face and repent.
1: That's why he says, Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours. And the gospel
0: confronts perspective. Final point. He tells him to repent. He says, I I see that you're in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you said may come upon me. There's real transformation. We don't know for sure that Simon was saved. But this prayer is is no longer that that he wants to, to just follow the crowd. But he does not want to face the wrath of God because he understands that his heart was in the wrong place. It changes his entire perspective in church. That's why we exist as a church is to go and put Jesus into perspective. To go and to tell people of the good news. That our hearts without Christ Jesus are in the wrong place. And we can go and we can follow every religious activity. We can go and serve at full capacity. And if our heart isn't changed...
1: And we don't know the Lord. We need to teach people that they need a better perspective on that.
0: That until Christ comes into your life, until you repent and believe in the Gospel, you're not right before God. And we need to teach people that the perspective of the world and everything around us needs to change, and the only way it's going to change is by the Gospel. Look at how it got a hold of Simon there to the point where he says, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you said may come upon me. Now church, here's the beauty. In a fuller understanding of the New Testament, we know that we don't have to go through people to pray. That you can turn to the Lord right now and repent and believe in the Gospel and surrender your life to Christ. But until you have a right perspective of the Almighty God and of the Gospel, your heart and your idols won't be changed. Your idols won't be removed.
1: Your hearts won't be changed.
0: Gain a whole understanding of the Gospel. That we can't do anything on our own. We're going to take communion here in a minute, and I want us to reflect on that. That the reason when we take communion, we look to the sacrifice that Christ made on His people's behalf. That we know that without his intervention in our life, without him paying the
1: price, we would be that of Simon.
0: We would not have a new perspective. We would not have a changed heart, and we would continue to follow and worship the idols. We know that this week we probably put things before God that we know that we shouldn't have. And we're believers, right? If indeed you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ. We know that there's a waging war even amongst us as believers. So when we go out, we point people to the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus and the need not only to say that yeah, Jesus is God, but no, Jesus is my God. That when I approach the Lord's table to partake in communion, that I'm reflecting on what Christ did not simply for the world, but for me. For us His bride. And that's beautiful. And and church, it sets you free from the bonds of iniquity. It sets you free to go and to proclaim the good news without fear. It sets you free to go and to tell people about the, the, the Savior that came, that if you repent and believe, you would be saved. It gives you the the understanding that you can go out and say, you're not good enough. You want to know why? Because I'm not good enough either. I didn't deserve this. We don't deserve this. But we look at the law, and then we look at the Gospel, and we say, Christ has set us free not to continue sinning that grace may abound, but we continue on and persevere to obedience so that God may be glorified and sinners may be saved through the ministry of God. Of the church. They were preaching the gospel. They didn't just assume that because he had believed and because he was following along, Peter didn't just assume, okay, this guy's good, we'll just let this little heresy go away. No, he rebukes him and he points him to the gospel. Nelson, you can go ahead and come back up. Aubrey and Matt to administer communion. And church, as we reflect this morning on the sacrifice of Christ our Lord. I want us to draw near. Maybe you're feeling like you aren't worthy enough this week. Maybe this morning you were coming in and you were arguing with your spouse or you're dealing with things from this week at work and just maybe a way that you behaved inappropriately. Let me tell you, Jesus paid the price. Leave it at the cross. Reflect on the sacrifice that He made and draw near to Him. Be confronted by your sin by approaching the table. Lord, I know that I'm not worthy.
1: But You paid that
0: price. I don't have to dwell on my sin. But I can push forward because You've released me. Because You've changed and confronted my idols. You've confronted my heart. And You've confronted my perspective. So I want us to think about those things this morning, church, as we draw near the Lord's table. I want us to think about the price that, that Jesus paid. And it wasn't a lucky shot. Lee, uh, we went to the, the fair this week. And Maylee played the dart game. You hit three balloons and you get the, the bigger prize. If you hit one balloon, you know, kids always win a prize, right? Maylee, her third one, she had hit two. And it goes up. And she just happened to catch a balloon. I'm like, man, I was so lucky. You know what wasn't lucky? Jesus dying on the cross. That was precise. Jesus paid the price for His people. I don't want us to think about that this morning. Now this is a sacred time at the Lord's table and it is for believers who have rested all their hope on the death and resurrection of Christ. If you're not yet a believer, you should refrain from partaking till you come to faith in Christ and then joyfully partake along with the body of Christ. We encourage those of you who are believers to examine your hearts in this time so that you can partake in a worthy manner. If you... If your heart is harboring unrepentant sin, refrain until you can come freely to partake. Now that doesn't mean refrain until next month when we take communion. It means if there's someone in here that you know that you've sinned against, talk to them right now. We got time. We can wait. We don't need to know what's going on, but, but handle it. Confront it. Don't let it harbor over until next month. Because next month, let me tell you something, same thing's going to happen. You're going to be dealing with things. You're going to feel unworthy. But Jesus has set us free. As the bread and cup are served, we ask that you hold them and go back to your seat until we can all partake together. You can come up here and Habrio will have the bread and Atma will have the grape juice. And then right here, we have pre-packaged communion too if you want to grab that and take it back to your seat and not get your hands all in the bread. But as you all are ready, church, go ahead and come. And I'm going to pray for us and you all can come as you're ready. Just being an attitude of prayer, Father, we thank you for for sending your Son to pay the price for your people. Father, I pray that this would be a, a time of repentance, God, confrontation with our sin, God. That we would we would feel this conviction, knowing God that that we've sinned against you. We we sin against you, and we want. You, our Lord, our God, to create in us a clean heart. God, and I pray as we uh, approach the Lord's Supper, God, that we would, we would confront these things and we would be reminded that we've been set free through the sacrifice of Christ. And I pray that, that being set free would be a reminder that we are not to continue on in sin, but we are to continue and push on, persevere in obedience. May your name be exalted through word and deed in each and every one of our lives. It's In Jesus' name we pray, amen.